What, okay, what's our order of operations again here? Uh, oh, we have to have our music, and then we have to... Um, do our intro. Do our intro. Are you going to take us away, sir? Okay. So, uh, welcome to uh, our podcast. Uh, what's our podcast called again, Angela? The Trade Waiters. Trade Waiters. For people that wait for the trade paperback to come out. Yeah, we don't have time for floppies. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> okay, so our, our book, uh, this episode, is going to be This One Summer by Mariko Tamaki and Jillian Tamaki, uh, super comicking cousins from Ontario. Uh, from Ontario? Yes. No, yeah. I don't know well, both of them. They're both... Yeah. Yes, the other one is uh, one is Toronto, the other is Ottawa, but then moved to Alberta. I right. looked it up on Wikipedia. Yeah, <laughs> I know Jillian Tamaki went to ACAD. Well, yeah, if Wikipedia says so. Yeah, it must <laughs> be true. All right, so uh, before we start, uh, we're going to have our character building question here. Uh, so we're going to go around the room, and you can introduce yourself again and tell us uh, what is your passion outside of comics. I think everyone's going to have an answer for this one. Um, okay. <laughs> Okay, uh, so I'm Jeff Ellis, and my passion outside of comics is probably uh, bike riding. Uh, just I love riding my bike uh, uh, everywhere, basically. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm Kathleen Gross, and my passion outside of comics is sewing and embroidery. Mm-hmm. I sew a good portion of my wardrobe, and I am into uh, narcissistic embroidery. <laughs> And you should look it up. It's amazing. Narcissistic embroidery is out of this world. It is really <laughs> phenomenal stuff. Uh, I'm Angela Mellick. Oh, gosh. There is so much in my life that is taken up by comics. It's hard to think of what actually ranks that second place. I think it's probably hiking. I really like getting up big mountains and spending a lot of time in wilderness solitude. Okay. Uh, I'm Jonathan Dalton, uh, and I am going to change my answer, and I'm going to say that my passion is history. Yeah, um, <laughs> because I actually have an idea for a uh, non-fiction children's book I want to do that is all b- about history. Yeah, uh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you about it later. Okay, it's so good. Um, okay, so uh, our book is this one summer, and I was going to do a little introduction to this book. Uh, where did I put my notes? Here they are. So uh, this is published in 2014 by Groundwood Books, which is a Canadian publisher. Oh, um, I didn't know that. So the, the book is about two young girls who spend every summer together in cabin country in northern Ontario. Uh, it never, I don't think it ever states explicitly that it's northern, northern Ontario, but it's oh, fairly uh, Growing up in um, Ontario <laughs> and rural Ontario, this is... So evocative of my childhood. <laughs> yeah, I would okay. agree one hundred percent. We'll it is unequivocally on Get into it later, but like, oh my god, it's like going home <laughs> a little bit. Okay, so this year they're suddenly aware of all the adult issues surrounding them in their own families, in the small town they're staying in, and in the wider world. And they each have to re-examine who they are as people in this world. Ooh, I that's <laughs> really well done. That's what I, happens when you write things ahead of time. I wish I could have <laughs> done justice to seconds. So. I'd like to apologize to Brian Lee O'Malley for my introduction to his book on the last episode. Okay, I also wanted to, to say a word about uh, Mariko and uh, Jillian. 
Um, so I had, I suppose I guess uh, Jillian was the more on the art side, and Marika was more on the writing side. But uh, I think they prefer to describe themselves as co-creators rather than uh, writer artist or anything like that. Um, they've both done other books. Uh, together, they've done a book called Skim. Which uh, has anyone here read Skim? Yes, I haven't. I it is. It do you want to? I have a copy. I um, would borrow it. Okay. it. It is phenomenal, and I was like, I wonder how they will top this. And <laughs> <laughs> okay, I haven't actually read Skim. I need to. Well, I oh, wonder. Dude, it's maybe so it's good. available at the library. It is definitely available at the library. I'm pretty sure. I think I borrowed it here before okay. I actually bought my own copy. Uh, while we're uh, on the subject of libraries, we should probably shout out the wonderful venue we have been recording these podcasts in. No yeah, way. at the Vancouver Public Library in their Inspiration Labs. Yeah, it just occurred to me we forgot to mention that in episode one. Well, we're mentioning it now. Yeah, we got to come up with like a checklist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, uh, they've also both done books on their own. Uh, I only wrote down comics because I don't care about other books. Um, sorry. But uh, Mariko uh, also wrote uh, Amico Superstar. It's also a comic. Yeah. 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 Oh, that was part I mean. of the um, Minx oh, okay. publication, yes. which was short-lived. Yeah. Um, yeah they... DC's um, short-lived attempt at doing quote-unquote, comics for girls. I think There's attempt some good... is generous. I, think I don't know. There are some good... Just, like, decided to make a bunch of books yeah. were good. And <laughs> halfway through... DC the... didn't hold up its end. Yeah. Yeah. Halfway through the process of making these books, they just pulled the plug and, like, gave up before they even tried. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Amico uh, Superstar is illustrated by uh, local deity Steve Rolston. Mm-hmm. Yes, he <laughs> did an amazing job on it. Yes. I've re- that is one I've read. Okay. Yeah. I haven't read that in a long time, so I don't remember it very well. Yeah. I vaguely Perhaps... An episode of this podcast okay. is in order. Who knows? Uh, and then the other book that uh, Jillian has done is Super Mutant Magic Academy, oh, which so I highly so recommend. Good. I have not read. So funny. It's like oh. X Men and Harry Potter, but better. Yeah. Also, okay. like some really good like art school stuff in there. <laughs> yes. Just hilarious. All right. Uh, so, do we want to talk about uh, our impressions of this book? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's who wants to start? Well, I think. Um, you recommended it. Why don't you lead us off? Okay. Um, well, I wrote down a whole bunch of notes here. Uh, I really like this book. I love this book. Uh, I liked it actually a lot better on the second reading because there was a lot of stuff I missed the first time around. Mm. Um, it's very moody. It has a great sense of place. Uh, I love how much uh, page space is basically wasted yes. establishing the mood. Pages and pages and panels and panels of stuff that, strictly speaking, doesn't need to be there to get the story across, but it makes it so much better. Um, It's a complicated story with complicated characters. A lot of it is basically just figuring out what is actually going on in uh, Rose's family. Rose is one of the two girls. It's Rose and uh, her friend Wendy. Yep. Um, And... At the very end, you find out that the the source of tension in her family is that... Oh, we, should, we don't have any spoiler alerts. Spoiler alert! Uh, for all of these podcasts, we will tell you how it ends oh. and every other thing that happens in it. So if you're not prepared for that, maybe go read the book first and then come back. Uh, because, as I was about to say, <laughs> uh, at the end of the book, we find out that uh, Rose's mother had uh, a miscarriage the year before and... Um, Rose didn't even know that her mom was pregnant. Uh, and so this is all new information for her. But um, the characters come to, to a, something of a resolution at the end. There's also um, 
drama going on in the town that the, they're staying in, in their cabin. Uh, and that gets resolved at the end. Her mother basically um, rescues uh, a teenage girl who lives in this town who it's not really clear whether it's a, a suicide attempt or whether it's just... Or whether it's a, not... Unfortunate accident. Yeah. Unfortunate accident, accident yeah. Intoxication or... Yeah. But that sort of, uh, in a sense, kind of saves the both of them. Mm-hmm. Well, and the girl she saves uh, had an unwanted pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah, which I thought was another level of irony mm-hmm. to put mm-hmm. on it. It's mm-hmm. really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, are we going to continue with global impressions? So yes. Sure. I don't yeah. think we're going to spend long on this. I agree yeah. 100%. Okay. Uh, really relished in the opportunity to read this book again. It is something that I read the first time and I cried. And I read it a second time and I cried again. <laughs> like, I just, I think this is, this book is the pinnacle of the form. The art is gorgeous. The writing mm-hmm. is complex. And uh, I have pages and pages of notes, not because of, like, uh, flaws or problems that I had with it, but just, like, noticing amazing little pieces that were put in there again like you're mm-hmm. you're noticing these hints left throughout the book that construct this beautiful story yeah absolutely yeah um i mean obviously i loved this book um i got it right after it came out and the first time i read it it was a really slow read because i was just like soaking in every spread like the art like you said is just phenomenal uh, the writing, like, how they all work together. This is just such an exceptional graphic novel, and Mariko and Jillian are just, like, such a dream team. Mm-hmm. And I I just, I love this. I thought it was such a great um, sort of portrait of that really weird time in your life where you're stuck between childhood and adolescence. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just captured that so well. And I think uh, just on a, on a very, like technical level the production quality of this book is so nice they made the choice which is very unique to print it in uh this beautiful like deep indigo kind Mm. of blue purple ink uh on this warm off-white paper and that decision evokes nostalgia like that's just the affect that i get from Mm -hmm. that book more than i think any other decision they could have made It's, it's just such like a genius um, yeah. creative choice on their part. Yeah. yeah, it would just, even in black and white, it would just take on a different attribute, and just that shift in ink and paper just makes the difference in, in how the art feels. Yeah, yeah. so I did read affect. it in black and white. So the uh, digital edition, for some mysterious reason, is mm. in pure black and white. Mm. Interesting. Which uh, I felt it didn't detract at all from the experience of the narrative. It still hit me very hard, but I must agree. Like, the second I saw... Uh, I ran into Jeff in a coffee shop because he was uh, lending me his copy of Seconds, which they don't offer digitally. (laughs) And uh, I saw the blue ink, and I was really struck by how beautiful it works and how uh, symbolic of the ocean, right, which carries through Mm -hmm. this whole uh, strong sense of place. So, yes, definitely top Mm -hmm. nods to this Canadian publisher put this together. I don't want to say I'm shocked because it's a Canadian publisher, but they really went to town on this one and well-deserved. I like like that you... um, noted sort of the idea of blue connecting to the ocean because I was reading a lot of um, interviews with both the creators uh, just because I I was interested in um, hearing what they had to say about the book and they kind of were just very um, nonchalant about like why they chose the ink. They're like, oh, well, we thought it would be different. We kind of like how manga is printed in in different colors and we just kind of wanted to do that. That's an interesting one. I think is totally valid and maybe they have other reasons for doing it and but like it's such a genius choice. Yeah. Well, I think uh, if you're that skilled a creator, 
you might make a choice based on some random inclination, but if it wasn't the right choice, you would know not to do it. Yeah. Like, if they were going to do pink ink. There, mm. there are manga printed in pink and yeah. purple as yeah. well, so yeah. there are I other colors they There would have been chosen. a filter in, to, to stop them internally mm. to say, yeah. no, pink, not the right color. Yeah. What are my other options? Yeah. But yeah, no, I think this book was just uh, phenomenal. Was re- actually, Kathleen recommended it to me, like, a long time ago, and I, I just picked it up. Uh, actually, I picked it up at the same bookstore I got seconds, and I kind of read both, like, back-to-back, and... Uh, yeah, this one summer was just a delight to read, and um, it's interesting because you say it was like the nostalgia of kind of growing up in in Ontario mm-hmm. and those summer trips and stuff. Um, and I think that even though I don't have that experience, um, just the experience of growing up and being in that transitional stage of not quite a teenager, not quite a kid. Um, there's things that I related to. There's things that just resonated with me, and and it's just so beautifully done like it just it makes a lot of sense and um you know i really appreciate how they have a like jonathan was saying it's a complex story but it's a complex story that you're piecing together from the impressions of your protagonist who's like a a limited narrator right like they're not really privy Mm -hmm. to everything going on around them but you're experiencing it through their eyes and so you're just getting these little fragments and what I found interesting is that, you know, like, they show you things that maybe Rose is seeing. But she's not understanding the significance of it, but you, the reader, are. Because mm-hmm. you've got that maturity or that life experience where you're like, oh, no, I totally see what's going on. Like, I think that, you know, um, I was piecing together, like, w- the drama going on between the teenagers a lot faster than Rose was piecing it together, for example. Um, you know, uh, because it's something that, like, I've been through more life experience where it's like, oh, I've seen stuff like this play out where for her, this is like the first time seeing like this kind of thing happening, you know? And I just thought that was really just well done in the way they told the story. Yeah. Similarly, a a thing that I picked up on that Rose probably could subconsciously pick up on, but maybe not uh, infer all the way to the conclusion was the initial tension and stiffness between Rose and her husband. So mm. even just in the way that she's drawn, like, uh, sorry, not Rose, her mom, Alice, her mom. Yeah. Yeah. Alice yeah. and her husband, but even in like the very first introductory session where like they pass by the chicken farm or the turkey farm and yeah. the dad makes a joke and the woman, the, the wife is kind of like, uh, not into it. And she's putting yeah. away the, she, she's entering the cabin that, you know, very, standard setup phase when you go to a cabin and you need to establish yourself there for the summer. Like she's putting these, these cans away and very stiff and the husband's trying to like get her loosened up. And Mm -hmm. she's like, no, I don't want to do this. Just like, let me be, let me decompress in my way. I I really identified with the Alice character. Definitely. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, perhaps so like, if you want to move into discussion, um, I thought definitely the thing that struck me as much, uh, more than anything else. And I think this resonated with you as well, Kathleen, as you said, is the super, super strong sense of place mm-hmm. that this book has. So it's not, I don't know if Owego is a real town. I think it's kind of an ironic name, probably, mm. like, because you're going away. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. it kind of reminded me a little bit just in, like, the sound of it of, like, Wasaga. Yeah, of sort course. Of, you know? Yeah. But it was uh, <clears throat> from the outset, even though I was never a camper in Ontario, this mm. kind of summer cottage lifestyle oh. really struck me. So yeah. I grew up back east mostly, and so we did have kind of a summer cottage lifestyle in a different sense. I was usually going to the States, yeah. but in Toronto, it's a huge part of the culture there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah like, we, ha- we had a farm. Uh, <laughs> a farm in rural Ontario yeah. uh, that I spent my summers at, so. 
And I thought it was a really, really fascinating uh, place to put this story more mm. than anything else. Because mm -hmm. the story is about kind of awkwardness and not really fitting. And so this cottage where they're going is somewhere that they return every summer. Mm. It's kind of a second home, yeah. but it's not really their home, yeah, right? Yeah. The people in the town, they're not really their neighbors. Yeah, and yeah. they might see them over and over again, but they're these kind of weird summer-only friendships. Yeah. And I felt that kind of put the whole thing at this kind of awkward edge. You know, I agree. I think the fact that uh, Rose and Wendy only see each other in the summer, and so they've missed each other's life experience since a year ago, and so suddenly they're thrown back together, and they're kind of figuring each other out again. Uh, it's it's more sort of an, an abrupt way to start uh, or restart a relationship. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the relationship between Rose and Wendy? Um, I think it's interesting um, because they're uh, like at the end of it, I wasn't sure which direction it was going to go in. Mm. Um, like my initial impression after re after the f second time I'd read this is. Are they still going to be friends a year from now? Yeah. Um, because they kind of have a bit of a falling out at one point. It's, it's not uh, like a big falling out, but they're, they're clearly um, developing in different directions, let's say, yeah. where Wendy seems much more in tune with, um, I'm going to call it proto-feminism, where she's not really figured all this stuff out yet, but she has like the building blocks to, to know, like, I don't think that's okay, I think this is okay, kind of a thing. Whereas Rose is, um, it's not really clear, I think, at the end, whether she has a, sort of a change of heart hmm. in that way or whether she's still um, wow. something, uh, like, at one point, Wendy calls her, uh, or says that what she's saying is sexist. And that feels like a kind of a startling moment hmm. where there's suddenly there's this gap between the two of them. Right. And they kind of come back together again and they're friends again, but right. is that just making up before you just don't see each other ever again, or is, uh, or is it not that? I, I think that's really interesting, John. Like, I didn't quite read it that way. Like, in some of my notes here, I was just more thinking about just... Uh, it, it reminded me of just times in my life where friends are just at different age levels, where yeah. you've got friends that mature out of the things that you used to enjoy doing, and so your friendship kind of falls apart for that reason. And well, like, there's definitely I've been on a lot of that. Like, especially at the first yeah. part of the book. Like, the first yeah. three quarters oh. of the book is a lot of that. Yeah, I've been on both sides of that equation, and I just, reading that, I, I was like, yeah, like, I've totally been there. I, I get this. And and my feeling, though, is that I thought Wendy was the one who was more just happy to just still kind of be a kid and mm -hmm. just to not be self-conscious, where Rose was really starting to develop that teen anxiety of like needing to present a certain way and and mm -hmm. be perceived a certain way and like Wendy was just sort of like the one that was kind of like what what why do you care about this stuff and and Rose being like, oh, like it's important like yeah you know <laughs> the relationship is really interesting to me there is definitely that dynamic of Wendy being younger like I feel like this book is about as you guys have all touched on it is about that transition from childhood to adolescence and not really being either and I feel like Wendy is very much childhood and Rose's adolescence, and yet, um, Wendy, to me, strikes me as more emotionally mature of yes. the two. She's much more emotionally connected. Mm. Yeah, um, I think that's, that's kind of what Yeah, well, Wendy's, yeah. Wendy knows what she wants, where yeah. Rose isn't comfortable to declare what she wants. Yeah, right? and I feel like this meanness, like this point where she was uh, called out as being sexist, it's her trying on different personas as she tries to identify 
the way that she's going to grow into adolescence. So mm-hmm. her being that kind of mean is like, whatever, they're just sluts. That's her just trying something on. And Wendy is actually, mm-hmm. thank goodness Wendy is there to kind of bring her back down <laughs> yeah. uh, to reality. Um, but if I could for a moment, I wanted to uh, read out a piece of dialogue that really struck me. It was right after uh, Wendy and Rose were reunited. And I thought this dialogue was just so well written. And if you listen really carefully to the differences between Rose and Wendy, and this is on page 21. So Wendy says, so did you go to camp? And Rose says, yeah, at the university where my mom works. It was like an art and like school stuff for camp, sort of. And Wendy says, I did this thing. Um, it's called Gaia's Circle. It's like a music thing. All the parents were mine except, all the parents except mine were lesbians. <laughs> and I thought just the, the way that this dialogue was written you could almost hear the two slight differences between the way those sentences are constructed, where mm. one is just slightly more mature and the other is like, mm, she yeah. has all the words there, but she's still kind of struggling putting them together in a fluid way and right. when many more filler words yeah. and this kind of up talk into it. But the dialogue throughout this book was just so mm-hmm. phenomenally written, right? Yeah. And I just wanted to call that out. Yeah. But well, definitely. And, yeah, I mean, and visually too, though, because then even on like the next page, you sort of have windy playing with her towel, like, twirling it around and treating it like a toy, where Rose is just kind of walking with her hands in her pockets. Yeah. There's a lot of body language used as storytelling in this book. Uh, It's probably one of my favorite things, and it it just shows how uh, both Mariko and Jillian, they consider themselves co-collaborators, because Mm -hmm. so much of this writing is in the gestures Mm -hmm. and the art and the way that, uh, Mm -hmm. even if you look at that page 22 panel, Wendy is, you know, really vivacious and connected with her body and not afraid to take up space, whereas Rose is very closed off. She's very, mm-hmm. like, tight. Yeah. And I feel like you see that reflected in Alice as well, yeah. her mother. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, A yeah, lot yeah. of that pose. Absolutely, yeah. No, and I mean, it just, all of it, it just all carries forward. I mean, just the the dialogue from, like, Duncan and uh, the way he teases uh, Rose and Wendy. Um, like, I've totally had teenagers like treat me like that when I was a little kid, you know, uh, it's, it's, it, it fits it's, and it feels natural. And then just as soon as Jenny shows up and starts talking to Duncan, like you kind of get a sense of where that, you know, what's going on with those two. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when things start to go on the rocks with them immediately, you kind of already get a sense of where that's going as well. Um, yeah, there's just so many beautiful little slice of life things. Like just, you know, little things like the eating the gummies, um, which is just beautifully drawn too. That's like, yeah. oh, yeah. that sequence of people eating gummy candies ever. <laughs> um, like, and again, like it's like you know, Wendy doesn't just eat it; she's got to play with it. Right? Yeah, it's like a toy. Scrunch again. it up into a ball. And... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, um, and, and and actually, there's a really interesting character moment there where she she takes that action right because it feels natural to her. She scrunches up the gummy into a ball in her palm and then just pops it in her mouth, and Rose bursts out laughing. And Wendy oh. is like almost taken aback for a second. Yeah, They're like, like "Why are you laughing? Yeah, is it just how I eat gummies?" gummies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's yeah, and then um, yeah, I and I also really liked the um, the whole thing with the horror movies. Mm. Oh yeah, uh, renting yeah. the horror movie DVDs and and watching them on the laptop. I mean, first of all, just like that they're out of this cottage country and they have nothing better to do than sit and watch horror movies on a laptop is like indicative of the time but it reminds me like my parents had a cabin by the beach 
and there was like an old TV with bunny ears. And my parents could care less about this television, but I'd be the one pulling it out and trying to tune in a TV station and watch TV because <laughs> we drove all the way to the beach so that I could watch TV, right? <laughs> uh, so here they are watching these horror movies and just the their reactions to it and, and sort of the the way they're a bit, they feel a bit taboo about it. Um, and the, their parents' reaction when the parents find out they're watching these horror movies, that's that's me. Like, I, that was when I started watching horror movies. Like, my parents didn't think it was appropriate. Like, we would just freak each other out. And uh, and I really appreciate they would they were referencing real horror movies, too. And so, I know, it's just, I watch a lot of horror movies every October, so just the fact that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. You guys really picked a good... That's, oh, yeah. No, that's inappropriate for you to watch. But, <laughs> like, instead of just being a made-up... I think, for some reason, being a made-up horror movie would have detracted. I think oh, yeah. they referenced real titles. Um, and they kind of had dialogue related to scenes from... The, like, I knew exactly what they were talking about, right? And I just... I, I thought that added an extra layer to it as well. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. I thought there was a really good mix of kind of real and fictionalization, right? Because as we mm-hmm. said, like, Owego is probably an amalgamation of a few towns, perhaps, like, they both, uh, both the authors, maybe they went to the same cabin because they're part of the same family. Uh, that's certainly something that I did. So my, my experience with cabin culture is that uh, my family would rent a huge house in New Jersey, and our entire family would descend onto it. So I would not be surprised at all if uh, these two spent the same summers in the same place. And I think we really benefit from two different perspectives of the same childhood nostalgia, if you make it that (laughs) kind of sense. But there's a lot of real references, right? There's references to U of T, there's references to Toronto, there's references to these real movies, and Mm -hmm. then these kind of fictionalized references, right? Mm -hmm. Like the manga is kind of unspecific, and uh, the town, the specific town itself... Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a point near the end of the book that I wanted to bring up while we still have time because we're running out of time. Oh no! I know. Okay. Um, but uh, well, there's a kept like with the two sort of relationships that are going on in the background. There's um, Rose's parents who uh, split up for a while. It's not really clear exactly what their what their terms that they separate on and what the terms they come back on. Uh, and Rose doesn't know, which is why it's unclear. And also. Um, uh, the Dud, uh, and uh, is Jenny her name? Yeah, yeah Jenny. Jenny. Yeah. yeah, so both of those relationships se- seem to reach a point where they sort of descend into chaos, where their surroundings are, there's no, there's no law, there's no order. Uh, one is when uh, Rose's father goes off uh, back home for work, supposedly, uh, and she's alone with her mother, and her mother is basically locked in her room and uncommunicative, and uh, Rose is basically left to fend for herself. Mm. Uh, and then her father comes back, and order is reestablished, and they're talking to each other, and everyone is getting along again. Uh, and also with um, uh, Dunk and Jenny, where there's a point in the story, uh, I think it's starting on page 265 approximately, where uh, Rose and Wendy are going back to town to pick up marshmallows. Uh, and then th- there's this party going on at the one store in town. And all the teenagers are there, and they're all drunk and hanging out and doing what teenagers do. And they go into the store, and there's nobody running the store. <laughs> and yeah. they just leave money. I remember Yeah, that. they just yeah, leave yeah. money on the counter <laughs> because there's no law. There's no order. Everything is chaos. Right. Um, but it's also kind of a cabin culture. Where, like, oh, yeah. It's so oh, casual. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. But, um, and then this is sort of the, the low point in both of the relationships. Like, this is the point where Jenny... Uh, confronts 
uh, dunk, and basically this is the end of their relationship. Now, this is not going to go anywhere from here. And then she ends up nearly drowning the mm-hmm. next time we see her. Um, and, like, at that point, things start coming back together again in both of the... Um, like, not necessarily in both relationships, but in the lives of the other characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But that, that was a very sort of interesting mm-hmm. uh, point, I thought. Yeah, well, I, I just think that was when this whole story came together for me was yeah. you sort of been reading all these random events and when Rose's mom jumps Alice jumps into the the ocean and saves Jenny from drowning like that to me was like everything just came full circle like everything just just connected and uh, and and that mm-hmm. just felt like a real ending for me it was the reveal where it's like her her deal all along was the fact that she'd had this miscarriage right and so it became it just coalesced everything in the story for me. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, it's our warning. Oh, we really are running out of time. But, yeah. uh, but I just wanted to speak to that for a moment because I thought that this whole book was really emblematic of a feminine experience that we don't see very often in a lot of these different ways. So there's the, uh, the childhood experience of childhood adolescence and developing into your femininity that I feel is not talked about very much. There's this kind of teenage pregnancy aspect that's really terrifying and there's this aspect of miscarriage, which is something that happens overwhelmingly commonly yes. and is mm-hmm. almost taboo in yes. our culture, and yet can be so devastating and so to harbor oh, the, the that kind that of pain. The way that scene's handled is so intense. Yeah, yeah. I, I got shivers reading that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, any last comments, thoughts? Uh, recommend. <laughs> Oh yeah. my gosh, I recommend this to so many people. I actually gave this book to my mother for Christmas. My <laughs> mother does not read comics, not because she's not interested in them, but she really does not know where to start. Yeah, I think, I think so. this is another unanimous recommendation. Yeah, like, yeah. I think this... would like, definitely recommend to people who don't read comics yeah. as like yeah. a really like mm. gripping story. Because like, I gave it to my mom. She doesn't, yeah. she doesn't read comics at all, yeah. mm-hmm. like, and mm-hmm. she loved Fair it. Fair enough. Like, I think there's been a lot of discussion for a long time about what are sort of the canon books, what are the most important comics that everyone should read. And I think the bar, the, like, if you look at books from the past, they, the bar is not set high enough. I think no. books just keep get, getting better, and I think this is one of the new benchmarks. This is yeah. uh, above Watchmen. If you think Watchmen is the best comic that exists, you need to read this one summer. I don't care <laughs> what genre you like, whether you think Ooh. Young Adult is appropriate the for you as a reader. Dropped. This is it. This is Watchmen. Read yeah. this instead. Oh, yeah. no, I would wait. definitely rather read this than Watchmen. Wait, no, what? Watchmen, oh, yeah. okay. oh, yeah. Watchmen, Watchmen only works if you spend ten years reading superhero okay. comics in your like preteen years. But there, there so was a point. Ever, okay, so there was a point where your... that was the pinnacle. <laughs> as far as every, anyone knew, there, there were no comics better than this. And by we've contrast, re- we've ra- uh, raised the bar a yeah. lot since then. Yeah. This is a book that applies to anyone who was ever under exactly. the age of 13. You you know? Know? <laughs> and you don't need that back, back catalog. Okay. Absolutely. Right. There's Absolutely. no continuity to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. All right, I think we, we definitely need to wrap up, unfortunately. Uh, so, so let's okay. do a quick... Um, let, let's forego shout-outs, then, and okay. just do a quick sign-off. Yep. Okay, uh, I'm Jonathan Dalton. You can find me at lostcitycomics.com. Uh, Angela Malik, wastedtalent.ca. Uh, Kathleen Gross, you can find my work at cagcomics.tumblr.com, which is K-A-G-C-O-M-I-X.tumblr.com. And you can find my comic work at jeff-ellis.ca. Okay, and next uh, next episode's book will be uh, 100 Demons by Linda Berry. Okay, all right. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thanks. Bye.